0: I've entitled my message, The God Who Suffered. The God Who Suffered. The more I live, the more I realize, the more I experience that people are suffering. People are hurting. God's people are suffering. Christians are not exempt from trials, we are not immune. From suffering. I want to read a passage of scripture this morning that is a prophetic passage that speaks of Jesus. Isaiah the prophet, written 800 years before the coming of Christ. The Holy Spirit inspires him and gives him an insight and unveiling into the life and the ministry of the Son of God, of Jesus Christ. 53 it says verse 1 who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the lord been revealed for he speaking of jesus shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground he has no form or beauty and when we see him there is no beauty that we should desire him listen to this of jesus he is despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows And acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our grief. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed." I want to speak to you about the issue of suffering this morning. One of the most common questions that is asked by well-meaning but hurting people is, if God is good, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? Now, that's not a new question. That's a question that's been around throughout the ages, throughout history, But maybe this morning you might personalize it and say, if God is good, why is there so much pain or hurting in my life? Even Solomon, the wisest man on earth, known for his wisdom and his understanding, he said this in Ecclesiastes, for all our days are sorrowful and our work is grievous. Even in the night our heart has no rest. This also is vanity, or another translation says, it just doesn't make sense. Now, if Solomon didn't have all the answers, I won't won't be so foolish uh, to think that I have them. Now, sometimes pastors and leaders, and even some well-meaning Christians, maybe because of pride, um, they, they feel that they have to have all the answers. Let's close in prayer and go home. I don't have all the answers, but I do have some, hopefully. And we're going to find them, not in man's wisdom, not in what I know, but in what God has said in his word and God's wisdom. What was interesting, even while I was preparing this message, I got a text from a pastor friend, and he said he was busy with a family in his church that lost an 18-year-old son in a car accident and he was preparing to do the funeral on this past Saturday. It's so hard to understand this uh, concept or, or this conundrum that we have to deal with of God being good, yet there being suffering in our world. But the only way I could even begin to grapple with this issue. The only way I can begin to deal with this issue is to look at the cross of Calvary. We have to start with Jesus. If there was not a cross, if there was not the suffering of our Savior, if there was not this passage that tells us that Jesus, the Son of God, holy and pure, perfect, suffered, then I would have a tough time with this issue. But, but let me go back a little bit. Let me say from the beginning, God never intended for there to be a world of suffering. God created a perfect world. If we go all the way back before the fall of man, before the sin of man, the world was beautiful, the world was perfect, the world was without sin, it was without suffering, it was without pain, it was without any heartache, it was perfect. And then there was sin. And then we we see throughout the Bible, because of man's rebellion against God, man's sin, man's uh, just total disregard for the laws of God, we see the breakdown of nations, the breakdown of cultures, the breakdown of people, the breakdown of families, and even the individual brokenness that we all deal with. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came 2,000 years ago. That's why the prophetic word in Isaiah 53 was to tell us that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And we today as the people of God live in a broken world, in a fallen world where there's sin all around us, there's suffering, there's shame, but you and I are in the process of being healed. We're in the process of being made whole. But let me tell you, we will never be totally whole and totally healed until the Bible says God creates a new heaven and a new earth. Till we go back to the original order. Till we go back to the way things were originally planned to be. God has a plan for planet earth. God has a plan for your future and my future. And that's the place called heaven. Yeah, I know you're real excited about going to heaven. We all want to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. But the Bible tells us that we look at Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Hebrews chapter 1 says that God spoke in various ways through the prophets, but has in these last days spoken to us through his Son of whom he has made the heir of all things, and who is the very express image of God. When you see Jesus, when you read the scriptures, and you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. Amen. Jesus told his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we look, at, we look at Jesus, and we look at what he went through. He greatly suffered beyond words. He suffered at the cross. He suffered physically Emotionally and spiritually, Jesus was taken to a whipping post. He was, his flesh was ripped open by, by a whip that had strips of leather that had metal glass and nails. And every lash would not only hurt, but would, the flesh would be ripped off as the lash would be pulled back, as the whip would be pulled back. The crown of thorns would slice through his head. The nails would pierce his hands and his feet. The pain, the excruciating physical pain that Jesus went through is beyond human comprehension. But it wasn't just that, it was the emotional pain he suffered. In the Garden of Eden, or in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus wrestled with what he was about to experience, not just the physical pain, but knowing the emotional pain of bearing the sins of the world. Such emotional anguish that Jesus went through. The Bible tells us that he began to sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. Such emotional tension and anguish. And then spiritually, we know when Jesus hung, bled, and died on Calvary, the Bible says he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? People get confused and don't understand what was happening, but basically at that point, God Almighty was putting on Jesus the sins of the world, and Jesus was becoming our sin he was becoming the lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world and at that point as he's bearing the sins of the world God in his holiness and his justice judged sin but God because the Bible says his eyes are so holy and pure he looked away from Jesus so in that moment the anguish and the suffering Jesus sensing and knowing that his father was laying upon him the sins of the world he cries out my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it doesn't end there because eventually he commits himself Father, into your hands. I commend my spirit. The Bible says of Jesus that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. When I look at Jesus, it helps me to understand. It helps me to process. It helps me to deal with the pain and the suffering that you go through, that I go through, that we see in all the world. I just love what John Stott. John Stott was a famous theologian from London and he wrote a book on the cross of Christ. And he said this, he said, I, have never, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. The only God I believe in is the one who Nietzsche ridiculed as God on the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? He goes on to say, I've entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of the Buddha. His legs crossed, his arms folded, his eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing round his mouth, a remote look on his face, detached from the agonies of the world. But each time, after a while, I have to turn away And in my imagination, I have turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross. Nails through his hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding with the thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerable thirst, plunged into God-forsaken darkness. This is the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us our suffering becomes more manageable in the light of his. There is still a question mark against human suffering, but over it we boldly stamp another mark, the cross that symbolizes divine suffering. The cross of Christ is God's only self-justification in such a world as ours. Amen. Isn't that good? You see, we have a God, we have a Savior that can relate to us and we to him. I love the word of God. Can you say amen? How many of you love God's word this morning? Faith comes by hearing, hearing comes by the word of God. Hebrews chapter 4 says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we, yet without sin. Another translation says, for we have a high priest who can understand what we're going through. And the Bible says, let us therefore come confidently... That word boldly doesn't mean a pride or an arrogance. It means a confidence that we come, not in our own merit, but we come because there's a God who welcomes us and tells us that we can come through his, his son, through Jesus, and what he, what he uh, suffered and sacrificed for us, that you and I could come confidently knowing that he'll give us grace and we'll find mercy to help in our time of need. Sometimes all you need is God's grace in your life. It's just his mercy that comforts and sustains you through the trials of life. Several years ago, uh, maybe 15, 20 years now, uh, there was a movie that came out, a new Jesus movie. And uh, the way Jesus was portrayed, he was smiling a lot, he was laughing, um, and, and some Christians kind of objected to this portrayal of Jesus. They said, isn't Jesus a man of sorrows? Why the laughter? Why the smile? Now, some of you are too young to even know about this movie. Um, but but it, it was just, they, they, they questioned and they po- uh, wondered about the portrayal. But personally, the more I think about it, I don't see it as a contradiction. Because listen, in life, you could have sorrow and you could have suffering on one hand. On the other hand, you could have joy and you could have peace. That's the paradox. Jesus was a man of suffering. He was acquainted with grief, but he also had a joy that was such a magnetism that drew children to him. How many of you know for children to like you, you can't be a phony? No. Children can sniff out phony quicker than, than most adults. And they know if you're just patronizing, you don't really like them, they'll stay away from you. That's why you see all the kids running to me all the time. They just love their pastor. Amen. That's always a good sign because I know they're not, their parents are not talking about me at home. <laughs> In a bad way, anyway. <laughs> you see, the scriptures tell us a little bit more of suffering. Turn with me to Romans. Romans, the epistle, the letter of Paul, the apostle, to the church at Rome. Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5. Look what the word of God tells us. Verse 3. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. Another translation says we rejoice. Some of you are not buying this this morning. We rejoice in tribulation knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance, character produces hope. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, I want you to go over to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Right after the book of Hebrews. James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, Paul and James both tell us something about trials. They tell us something about suffering. What I love about the Word of God is the relevancy. It's relevant. It is relevant, it is, it is up to date, it is more up to date than breaking news on your television station. It's more relevant because it speaks to humanity, it speaks to the ills, the problems, and it also ministers the grace and the comfort and the truth of God's word to help us make some sense out of it. Listen, I don't propose to have all the answers this morning. I don't propose to speak to every individual need, but I do know the Holy Spirit could minister grace to every heart, and you could receive something to walk away with today to see things in a different perspective. So you see both of them. You know, uh, James has said, saying, be glad, one translation. Another one says, consider it pure joy. you got to be kidding me. Do you know what I'm going through? Do you know the suffering? Do you know the pain? And please, I am not minimizing or, or trying to take it lightly or in any way diminish what you're going through but I'm just looking at the word of God. Paul says it, we shout our praise even when we're hemmed in by troubles, another trim, uh, translation says. We gladly suffer. The Greek word is to exalt or to be exuberant in joy. How can that be? How is that possible? I think the important uh, word that really is, is, is the hinge upon which everything swings in both passages, you're going to identify one word that is critical in James and in Romans. You know what that word is? Knowing. Paul says, we know. We know. James says, we know. You see, this knowing... In the the original language in the Greek of which the New Testament is written means to perceive, to understand, to be conscious of. So what do we know? We know that God is at work in our afflictions. Paul is saying, you're looking at me like you don't believe it. Let's go back to the word of God. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulation knowing. We know. What does James say? Count it all joy when you fall into the tribulation knowing. You see, it's perceiving, it's understanding that God is at work. God is using our trials and suffering for a greater purpose. Even, even in the bad, even in the ugly, even in the things we don't understand, even in the things we wish we could change and we say, why God? Why God? We ask why, but we don't, we don't wait around long enough to, for him to answer us. Have you ever said, why God? Why God? Well, he's telling you why right here. Amen. God's telling you why in his word because we know something. I like what Tony Evans said. He said, in God's providence, you have bad days, bad weeks, bad years for a purpose. God uses trials to develop us spiritually. A trial is a divinely ordained difficulty that God permits so that he may grow us and conform us into the image of his son there are some things in your life, in my life, that nothing will touch, nothing will get at, except intense trials and suffering. There's some things that are so deeply rooted in our character, in us, that only the fire of a trial, just like gold, right? What does the Bible say? The Bible likens our faith to gold. If I, if I held up a bag of gold, weighing pounds, that would be millions of dollars, and I, I held up a bag of trials, which one would you choose? Hello? Don't be so spiritual, you'd be grabbing for the gold. But the Bible says, knowing that the testing of your faith, which is much more precious than gold. Oh, you're not getting that this morning. Your eyes are still glittery with gold. <laughs> no, no, no. The trying, the testing of your faith is much more precious than gold, though it be tried with fire. That's why the Bible says, Peter says, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial that's gonna try you as though such, some strange thing has happened to you, but rejoice. Rejoice. Why? Because you've got a different perspective. You're not seeing things from an earthly perspective. We get so bogged down by an earthly perspective. Even our faith is based on blessings here and now. We heard that song, even if your blessings come through raindrops. Oh no, I'm not confessing that. Hallelujah. I'm the head and not the tail. Well, get off your tail and use your head. Knowing, it's what we know. We know certain things, and that helps me. That helps me to understand. What does it help me to understand? Romans 8, 28. And we know. And we know. And we know all things work together for good. To those, to everybody? No, not everybody to those that love God. Do you love God this morning? Do you love God enough to go through the trial? Do you love God enough to go through the pain? Do you love God enough to go through what you gotta go through to get where God wants you to be? Or do you draw back? The Bible says we are not of those who draw back to perdition. That's a a word that means destruction. We don't draw back. We don't draw back because it gets hard, because it gets difficult, because it gets trying. We don't stop coming to church. You know, I meet some people, where you been? Oh, pastor, I've been going through a lot. What does that mean? Is that why you're not coming to church? None of us would be here if that was the fact. Oh, pastor, you don't know how bad I have it. You don't know what I'm going through. There'd be three people here this morning. If that was the the test or the qualification. But we know all things work together for good. They work together. Are all things good? No. Tragedies, suffering, pain, it's not good. They're not good. They're not. God didn't intend that. It's the devil who's come to kill, steal, and destroy those things are happening because we live in a fallen world, a world which Satan is the prince of the power of the year. It's why we pray for revival. It's why we pray God's kingdom come so that the kingdom order might, might be manifested in our life. God's will might be done that we might begin to see some of these things roll back, but they'll never fully be rolled back. But we know that all things work together for good. They're not good, and, and I don't want to use the old overused illustration of baking, but I will. When you bake a cake, the individual ingredients, the flour, the raw egg, the salt, the whatever you put in those cookies, they're they're not good individually. But when they work together, come on now, some of you are getting hungry right now. (laughs) Putting an order in, bake some no-bake cookies, Pastor Mike, amen. Amen. See, but when you mix them together in the same thing, you know, what did Joseph say? All that Joseph went through. See, some of us want to be used by God. I hope all of us do. But some of us want to do great things. And there's nothing wrong with having ambition and aspirations to be used greatly by God. But you know what? There's a price to pay. Not one person in the scriptures that God used mightily had a carefree life. Not one person. If you look, matter of fact, you look in the Bible, many of the kings... Because they had it so easy, they backslid. But you look at the prophets in the Old Testament, very few backslid because they didn't have an easy life. So you have to understand something. If you want to be used by God, there's going to be trials. You see David, what he went through. You see Joseph, you see Job, you see Paul. All the suffering they went through because that was part of the process that, that God was using to purify them and to make them useful. But you have to understand something. All these things, they work together for good. But but that's God's perspective. See, we're usually looking from the human perspective. Joseph, all he went through... He's sold into slavery. He's lied about from a teenager, the suffering. We can't even understand the anguish of being ripped from his family, tossed into a a culture he didn't know, a language he couldn't speak a people he couldn't understand, and living as a teenager in that atmosphere. And then then he grows up a little bit, and and, and he's lied about and put in prison and all that. You know what he says in in, in Genesis 50, verse 20? You heard a 20-20 vision. How about 50-20? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. See, it's the, same, it's the same coin, but different sides. See, we look at it just from one side. We look at the pain. We look at the suffering with the heartache, and we focus on that. We're all guilty of it. Let's not focus on what people have said, what they've done to us, what we're going through. Let's focus on what God is going to do through it. Oh, I—I I, I, I was hoping for a better amen. See, we look at what man done. You meant it for evil. You know good. You, I hate you, what you did to me. And we focus on that. And, and it's not easy, but we gotta, we got to shift our focus on what we know. We know that all things work together for good. We know that God is in control. We know that God is bigger than that. We know God can reward us. We know God can restore the years the locusts have eaten. We know God can make it up. He can accelerate an anointing. He can accelerate a breakthrough. He can accelerate situations in your life. God can do more in five seconds than you and I can do in 20 years of labor. You see, if we love God, he'll work it out. We've got to look at it from his perspective that he's doing something in us. God is doing something in us. You see a different perspective on suffering. We know, what does the Bible say about suffering? What did Jesus say? I think we need to, we need to hear some of this because we've got we to get a refocus. We've got to get a paradigm shift. Suffering is going to happen in our life. John 16, In this world, you will have tribulation. Tribulation is unavoidable for the church. Acts 14:22 through tribulations through many tribulations you will enter the kingdom of god suffering romans 8:17 says if we suffer with him we will be glorified with him romans 8:18 8, says our sufferings are nothing in comparison to future glory Oh, I'm telling you, we got to look at it differently. We got to look at what rewards. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think of what others have done, the great sacrifices they make, and and I say, oh God, what is it going to look like in eternity when I stand next to Paul the Apostle and all that he went through, and, and my trials seem so small in comparison to his. When I think of the suffering Paul, all he went through, shipwrecked, beaten, stoned and not with coke or crack. I mean, he was stoned with boulders. He was whipped. He was shipwrecked. He was stripped of his clothes. He, he was in prison. He went through all that. And you know what he said? Our light affliction is but for a moment. Why? Because he's seen it from a different perspective because it's working for us in an eternal and exceeding weight of glory. The Bible says, the Bible says that our sufferings are nothing in comparison to the glory. Jesus invites believers to leap for joy when they endure persecution and tribulation for his name's sake. Let me, let me read it to you. Let me read it to you. Matthew chapter 5, the Word of God tells us, Jesus says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets. Who are before you. You don't know. How valuable your trial and your suffering is. If you let God produce in you what he desires. He desires to conform you and I into the image of Jesus. I've been walking with Christ for over 40 years now. And I'm still painfully aware of things in my heart. That need to change. And I realize God. God, I don't know what it's going to take, but God, do whatever you got to do. And that's a scary thing to pray. You know, we all want God to work on our time frame and work in a comfortable way. God, deliver a miracle and make it comfortable for me. But it do not happen that way. And see, God has to turn up the heat and turn up the fire in our life to produce the change that he desires. And God will allow some things in your life. And instead of asking God, why me, why me? Say, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me? It's not about her. It's not about him. I read about a pastor who, who was praying about this person in the church that was just a pain in his neck. There's nobody like that here at Victory, so don't feel don't, you don't have to look down. You can still look at me in the eye. And and he kept praying. The pastor kept going to God in prayer. God, please, would you would you would you leave this person somewhere else? Would you send them to another pastor? Send them to another church? And pray. You know what God said to this pastor? In the, in the, not an audible voice, just in his spirit, he sensed God saying, eh, "You don't know how much this person is making you a prayer warrior. So don't get any ideas. You don't need to make me a prayer warrior." I'm doing, I'm doing my best on my own. Don't, don't think you're going to be the one God uses to be my pain in the neck. Everybody wants that ministry. <laughs> so pain, as I bring this to a close, pain and suffering is inevitable. But misery is optional. You and I cannot choose whether we will experience pain, but we can choose how we respond to pain. Knowing makes all the difference. What I know, when I know, I see things from a redemptive perspective. When we don't know, we see through a negative, hopeless perspective. When life's journey brings you to a place of pain, there's a path that begins to split ahead of you. One road makes you better, the other will make you bitter. One will draw you closer to God, the other will lead you away from God. We know God is good. We know he can be trusted. He has promised us one day he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death, no sorrow, no crying, no pain. I've said it before, personally, I don't want to become hardened. There's a lot of pastors who become hardened in the ministry. I want to stay humble. I don't want to become bitter. It's easy to become bitter working with people. I want to become better. But we have to process this biblically. We have to process this with Jesus, who was tempted in all points like as we, yet without sin, we could come confidently to him to receive grace and mercy. You know, and I want to close. Would you stand together with me? I'm going to ask the team to come back, and I want to close in prayer. Do you know that passage in James? I want to read it again, but I want to tie in something in closing. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces something, patience. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now that's, that's the trial part, right? That's the part we're trying to learn that we know something, but But you know what we need in the context of it? The next verse. If any man lacks wisdom. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. You see, in your trial, you need godly wisdom. In what you're going through. You need the wisdom of God. You don't need what what somebody says on Facebook or Twitter or TikTok or or, or on on social media platform. You don't need what they're saying on TV. You you need to know what is God saying. You need the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. You know how the wisdom of God comes? It comes primarily through the word and through prayer. Through the word and through prayer. Secondarily, in another level, it comes through godly counsel. Not just any counsel, but godly counsel. You don't go to just somebody who's going to tell you what you want to hear. You go to somebody who's godly, who's proven. And there are many people in this church that are godly, that are proven, that are faithful to God for many, many years, and they can give some wisdom and insight. But you know what we need to do is go to God first. Wisdom is the ability to apply spiritual truth to life circumstances. The ability to apply spiritual truth to life circumstances. That's wisdom. James says, in the context, we're we're learning in our emerging leaders group how to study the Bible. What a great class it's been. How to study the Bible, how to dig a little deeper. In these last days, we need to learn how to dig a little bit deeper. The devil's distracting us with social media, with TV, with this and with that and all that's going on around us. We get more caught up in in what, what someone is saying on TV, the talking heads, than we do what God's saying in his word. We need to get into the word. We need to go deeper. What does it tell us in this passage of scripture when it's talking about trials? The context... The setting, where the word is about wisdom or or to ask for wisdom. You know where it is? In the midst of trials. You need wisdom in the midst of a trial because the devil will come to you with so many other options. And you know what it usually is? Run. Hello? It's usually, it's somebody else's fault. I'm going to run. And we get a victim mentality. Instead of saying, you know what? I am going to change, Lord. It's me. It's me in the need of change. Not anybody else. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's me. It's me. Come on, it's me. It's me. You're so used to pointing your finger at everybody else. It's everybody else's problem. I remember a church person leaving one church after another, and they were always blaming the pastor. I finally told them, listen, uh, the Pope ain't going to be your pastor. Billy Graham ain't going to be your pastor. You know, you you ain't going to find the perfect pastor. Just stop running. It's not everybody, uh, it's not the pastor's fault, it's you. Be quiet, shut up, sit down, and eat eat what you're fed. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. I need divine wisdom. We're living in a critical time in history. We're living in the last days. We need the gifts of the Spirit. We need the wisdom of God. We need the Word of God. There's a spiritual battle raging that's beyond comprehension. We need God desperately. We need His wisdom. I want to make it to the end. The Bible tells us that in the last days, the love of many will grow cold and and they'll depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits, doctrines of demons. But the word of God is sure, it's steadfast. If any man lacks wisdom, I want to close as they begin to sing, just as you begin to sing, would you come? I want to close in prayer, just a few minutes. I want you to ask for wisdom this morning. Wisdom from God. That's the ability to apply truth to your circumstances. Not, Not man's truth, but God's truth, spiritual truth. Through the word of God and through prayer, we seek God. God for his direction. God for his wisdom. God for how we deal with this trial. God, we need wisdom because it's so easy to explode and and do the wrong thing and, 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 and say the wrong thing in the midst of the trial. Come on, would you move out of your seat? Come and seek the Lord for a few moments. Maybe sit in your seat and begin to pray. Come on, we're calling out to God for wisdom before we leave this morning. Amen. If the altar's where you need us, yes, amen. Yes, take me there, take, take me there. If what you need is just an offering, it's right here. My life is here, and I'll be.